You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Today on Max's Island, I've got Jenna Bell with me. Welcome to the island, Jenna. Hi, <laughs> thank you for having me. You know, all our guests on Max's Island get the same opportunity to tell that story of that time in their life where they did something for themselves, perhaps had a bit of a sea change or a career change, or just decided to flip their life on its head and just pursue something that is just totally new at what point in your life have you experienced something like this I did move from New York to Sydney with my job I work at Salesforce as an account executive and I thought I hope that I could potentially uh, help other people that are interested in moving overseas or changing roles and moving internationally with whoever they're working for. So yeah, I'm hoping that my story can help other people. <laughs> it's interesting. We have a number of people on Max's Island, previous guests who have had career changes or um, job changes in particular within the same career. We've only had a few that have transitioned internationally. Many have aspired to the international transition, but few have achieved it. I'm really fascinated being an Australian, somebody who's transitioned from New York City to Australia. What made you do it? Uh, for me, I really wanted an adventure. And, you know, a lot of people have reached out to me, whether it be on LinkedIn or just internally in the company to learn about why I did it and how I did it. And I think that I was very specific in my choosing of Australia, just because I speak English, obviously, and, and I wanted to be able to move with work and have, yeah, a team that supports me and in, in learning and, and being able to expand my, my knowledge and in, in the field that I was in. So I was really excited about Australia in particular, just because I knew that it was a growing team at Salesforce. And I had friends from, I studied on exchange in Denmark, and I really wanted to be able to see some of the friends that I had made as well. 
but I had never been to Australia when I decided that I wanted to go. And I, I just knew that, yeah, it'd be an exciting exploration, I guess, adventure for me. And how long did the planning take? Oh, the planning to come over. You know, I, I reached out to the team. It was probably about two years before I actually ended up coming. But I, I had to really understand a good pathway for me because I didn't know if it would be possible. But uh, the pathway, yeah, I'd say it took about two years for, for it to actually happen. And were your colleagues in the US supportive of the move or were they thought that it might have been a career limiting move? Um, I have to give a shout out to Katya Menegon. I don't know if we can give shout outs here, but yeah, she was my manager at the time and she really supported me. And, you know, the person, another person that supported me was the person in Australia who hired me, Jenny Boltemann. Yeah, that my girl gang, I was, I was very supported by strong women leaders. And I think some people weren't supportive because they didn't think it would be possible just because I hadn't been at the company for very long. And my, my experience maybe wasn't as advanced as, as most people moving internationally, but uh, yeah, I'm so thankful for, for them and for having those people as champions for me to to get over and to make it happen since they did have to jump through hoops and really encourage me to to make it happen now you haven't mentioned family and you came <laughs> on your own and how did you break the news to your family that you're going to the other side of the world to work uh they were ha- they were happy for me um they're they're encouraging as well i know that they want me to come home <laughs> I think that I think that my grandma probably misses me, but I think ultimately, um, yeah, they were very supportive. And I remember calling my family afterwards when I got the job, and I was probably the happiest human on earth. I think what was made it so cool was that I had done a lot of things to try to set it up so that it would the stars would align, and even if it didn't work out. I, my family and I would speak about how, cause there's this, there was this incubator period where we weren't sure if it was going to happen. And I had to wait maybe a month before I moved. And after I interviewed and it was kind of just, you know, I had done everything I needed to do at that point. And if, if I didn't get it, then that was meant to be. And I was going to be happy with that either way. So it was cool because even in that waiting time, you know, my family and I were speaking and um, just excited to hear the results. And it was hard for me to sleep because I was very excited. But um, yeah, like I said, a lot of people have, have reached out to me about advice that I can give them. And that is something that I was hoping I could talk to you because I love the values of your podcast and yeah, just your passion project with Max's Island is very cool. And yeah, I love, I love what your podcast stands for. And I think it's amazing that you also believe that everyone can share a story and can learn from others. So yeah, I'm hoping that people can learn from this, from, from the, from the path that I took to get here. 
Just before we drill into some of the specifics about what it was like when you first came to Australia and the experiences that you had, I'm interested in the interview process. So you said that you were interviewed. Was that mm-hmm. simply to determine whether you were appropriate to come to Australia? Or secondly, was it a, an open interview process for a particular position that where you were competing with locals? Yeah, it's... Um... It's, it's, it has to be a specific process in order for me to obtain a, a visa with the company. So I was up against Australians and people internally in the company and externally applying for the role. And ultimately, they do need to have the, the role open for 30 days and have proof that they have interviewed candidates and that I am the best candidate for the role or that they were not able to find a candidate appropriate for the role. So there is a process that goes into it, but that is why it took a bit of time for me anxiously awaiting (laughs) if I had gotten the job. But yes, the the interview process is, is pretty, I would say, standardized, especially at Salesforce. And your field of expertise, though, is in the not-for-profit space. And you had from what I recall, made that move with internally within Salesforce in the States. And that was your primary focus in coming to Australia is to work in the not-for-profit sector. Yes. I, uh, prior to Salesforce, I worked at a software company for nonprofits for events specifically. So fundraising for events and auctions. So it was a very, it was a cool company. We worked with very large nonprofits in New York that did these amazing galas. And it was an interesting company to work for because I saw how technology could help a nonprofit fundraise and raise so much more using a new tool. So after working there for two years, I had had conversations around Salesforce. So I knew what Salesforce was, but then when I saw a the international opportunities that Salesforce had, that's when I took a closer look at them, salesforce.org. And how does the not-for-profit scene in the States differ to Australia? Mm, I would say, I mean, both, both countries are extremely giving. They're the top nations in the world for fundraising and for giving back to communities. I think major giving is more prevalent in the U.S. I mean, look at my, my role in New York with galas and luncheons and doing these events where you have people that are in a room and raising their hand to give $100,000 in one, in one night. So that was, it's very, that was very different because you don't see that as much in Australia. I think there's a lot more recurring giving. However, I think it depends on which nonprofit you talk to and what, you know, what, what they're doing best with their team and what they have going on. So it is different. I I saw that difference just with the major events versus not so much here. Um, I'd say definitely that Australia is coming closer to using Salesforce to the level that America is using Salesforce. So that's exciting. And our team the .org team at Salesforce is growing so much here in Australia, which is also exciting. So, Today, I attended a webinar on fundraising, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there was some reference points to COVID 
and mm-hmm. the impact on giving. From your experience, mm-hmm. and this is just a really random off-topic question, what have you seen in the last two years in Australia, the impact of COVID on giving and whether that has you know, slowed that fundraising market down? It's hard, it's hard to see the impact that COVID has had on nonprofits, especially with things like events, just being able to fundraise face-to-face, programs getting completely shut down, people having to, in a very short amount of time, rethink the way they deliver volunteering programs or just, oh my gosh, and, and volunteering not being able to happen, it's, it's, a, it's a huge impact. And I, it's what's exciting though, is I've seen, I've, I really have heard of amazing success stories where they have rethought the way that they are seeing that lost revenue come in. So yeah, definitely there it is very inspiring to see their teams come together and rethink how they're delivering services within NDIS, delivering mental health care. It's a big opportunity, obviously, for where I work too, because being a digital company, we're trying to help where we can. And what is very inspiring is seeing the leaders of these nonprofits come together and their teams and re-strategize and seeing what they can do. So there's definitely been some success stories. And I think about our CD foundation, we did an event with them last year and they completely moved their in-person run to a virtual run and saw even higher participations because they expanded nationally and got the word out and anyone could do the run wherever they were and vocalize it on social media or go on their website to volunteer and share with their friends. So yeah, there's, there's tons of amazing stories, but it, it definitely was heavily impacted. And hopefully moving forward, we won't see that again anytime soon. And now that everyone's been shaken up a bit, they are now a bit more proactive in that sense. And it's created opportunity. Mm-hmm. Let's get back to yourself when you landed in Australia. <laughs> okay. How many people did you know? Can you, could you count them on one hand? Uh. Yeah, personally, I could count them on one hand, but I had met, I will say I did fly out to Australia to meet the team before I actually moved. So I did come once before to meet everyone and to see if I was a good fit because I, you know, I wanted to see if I liked the team as well, (laughs) if I could see myself there. So I knew people also from building those relationships prior to the move. So that was good. When you arrived, how easy was it to do some of the basic things, find an apartment, adjust Mm -hmm. to the cost of living changes? Mm. And was that something that was really noticeable? Well, I moved from New York, so it was pretty tough in New York. Um, So I thought that it was lower cost of living, but pretty still high, I will say still high, but New York is ridiculous. (laughs) I think that I did have a friend from college that I met from Sydney and her sister is also my friend. And I was very grateful to her because she actually let me stay with her for 
a couple of months before finding my own home. So yeah, I was able to move in with her and then I moved in literally right next door to her (laughs) because I didn't want to be far away from her and her husband. So I lived in Bondi when I first moved over, Bondi. And was uh, I was very excited, I will say, since I had never lived by the beach and very thrilled human. <laughs> and did you find significant challenges culturally in terms of living? And I know, you know, Australia and America is not a lot different. And, and that was one of the things you've said it attracted you to come to Australia. Yeah. But I'm interested to to know how you felt about personal cultural scenarios that may have been different and how you dealt with them. And also in the workplace, whether there was anything, the way Australians approach business, mm. signing a deal, <laughs> committing versus what you did experience in the States. People ask me that and I never have an interesting answer, I don't think, because I personally have not experienced any major cultural difference. But I will say that moving from the New York office to the Sydney office, people came in earlier, stayed way later. I absolutely love the work-life balance that Australia has with the time that we get to take on holiday. And I mean, Americans don't even say holiday, we say vacation. And I think there's a reason why we have different words for those things. It's because (laughs) we only get two weeks and that we get 25 days here. So, but that being said, I think it again, varies on the company you work for in the U S and the other major difference that I've noticed is I love the Australian food (laughs) (laughs) and I love the produce and I love the farmer's markets. And I love, yeah, I lived in Byron during lockdown and loved being able to eat the food there. And I, yeah, I'm very, I'm a big foodie and I like, especially the cafes, you know, Australia does breakfast very well. And my dad is coming next week. And I was like, what do you want to do when you come down? He's like, we need to go to get some Aussie breakfast. And I was like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) A big breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just colorful and beautiful and yeah. Nourishing. And it's, um, I really like the cafes, the cafe culture here. And you see that in New York, you know, I feel like some of the best cafes in New York are actually Australian cafes. So that's interesting. You've already just mentioned that you landed in Sydney, spent some time in Byron, during lockdown and now you're in Melbourne. Yeah. That must be also an exciting part of the opportunity that you've been able to work in Mm -hmm. different major cities, different areas. And have you noticed much difference in each of those locations? Yeah, I definitely have noticed. Yeah. Lots of differences, especially with Byron. I mean, I had never lived uh, in such a small place. I think the population of Byron Shire is only 9,000, but then you add in all the people, tourists coming in and going, so it's probably a lot more, but it's been very exciting to move from place to place, and I like being in Melbourne now just because we now have our own Salesforce team here, and I actually, (laughs) I didn't tell you this, 
before, but I, I remember tweeting when I had Twitter. I actually don't use Twitter at all anymore, but I tweeted to my friend in Australia about moving to Melbourne. And this was five years before I moved to Australia. So actually the original city that I wanted to go to was Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned early on that part of your thoughts about doing this podcast with us was not only just to share your story, but also to use yourself as a bit of an example um, for others within your Salesforce organization, but perhaps anybody else around the world who's thinking about internationally changing their career or, or changing their career to go to another international location. What's your tips for somebody thinking about that? Well, that is what I mainly wanted to be able to share today, just because I do have so many people coming to me and reaching out on LinkedIn or emailing me about top tips <laughs> that I have. And I try to be helpful. And the things that I mainly speak to them about are, I first and foremost tell them that if they want it, that they can do it. <laughs> and that's what I wanted to, that's really what I want to share ultimately is that I want to encourage whoever that person is that they can do it. And it does require patience. It, you know, it might take a bit more time than that, that they wanted in order to make the move. But I mean, it took me, it did take me two years to be able to make it happen. And I think, I, you know, I want, it was a dream of mine to move internationally and work internationally ever since I came back from my exchange and having that experience of living in another place, that thrill, that adventure. So I think the main, the main tip of believing in themselves and, and just having finding someone that is on their side where they are at now, like where they're working currently, having someone in their corner. And then the biggest piece of advice around thinking sensibly, the person that's going to hire you, they need to want to hire you. And it's about connecting with that person that's going to advocate for you and championing you to to bring you over internationally. So I spoke to you about the coaching idea and how there's this fabulous woman that I used to work with that came into my team meeting one day and she put up all these athletes on the screen of what did all these athletes have in common? And people were just guessing. And her, her, her answer was that they all had a coach behind them and they were learning from that coach. And so someone that a coach is not just someone who is teaching you something, but someone who's, you know, on your side and, and supporting you and encouraging you. And you kind of need that from both angles, right? So you need it from, I had it from the Australian side and you need it from the American side. And I'm so grateful to the woman, the women that helped me because I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. Another big advice that I, I give to people is, is not being afraid to ask for help and share what they want. You know, what, what is their goal? What, where, where do they want to move and why do they want to move? And then I usually tell them that it's important that they know their own strengths and are able to voice what that, what those things are. So 
top three things that might differentiate you from someone else? You know, you kind of need that in any job, knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses and, and just being ready to speak of those and not being scared to tell someone what that goal is, because I think, you know, some people think of that they want to, they want to go abroad and they want to work internationally, but they're scared to tell people because they don't want to fail. I remember being scared when I'm working with other people that are much higher up in the company. I was, I wasn't very senior in, in my role. I was very junior. I had only worked at Salesforce for a year before being transferred. So some of those are some of my top tips and, and I just try to, I just try to tell them that, that they can do it. And if they want it, they can grab it. Many guests on Max's Island talk about career changes or aspiring to do things that they've always wanted to do. And your point about those one or two or three things that you're really good at, or that you feel that define you, that self-actualization is something that comes through consistently. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's fantastic advice. We often think about anything to do with careers. It's about my skill set, my technical skills and all of those things. And whilst that in certain sectors is is important to have and, you you know, to get to certain thresholds, you need certain skills. At the end of the Mm -hmm. day, it's your ability to self-actualize what you're good at. And that might be connecting with others. It might be being resilient. It might be um, Mm -hmm. being able to be a forward thinker, all of those things, being creative. And to be able to capture that, and as I said, many guests on Max's Island, for me, that's been the the great wisdom in their stories is the fact that they've known what they are good at, or they know Mm -hmm. what they want, and they're happy to articulate that and share that. So that advice that you've given is is really strong. And as I said, it's really consistent with what we've seen on with so many other people who have achieved and after making big, bold decisions. Jenna, thanks for being on Max's Island. It's been great to hear your story. And to be honest, the simplicity of your approach to coming to Australia. And, you know, there was a couple of really key messages, especially about the, the, the mentors and strong people at, at both ends of the of the journey, you know, from in the States and, and in Australia. And, and I think a lot of, we, we overcomplicate things quite often in our lives and, and try to look at all the obstacles. And, and sometimes it is simple as, as just getting the right support and having a very single focus about what you want to do and then evolving as, you, as, as things happen. So thanks for those insights. It's been really great to have you on the island. I'm sure the listeners would have really taken a lot away from your journey. I hope so. And before I go leave the island, I just want to say that I, I'm very aware that um, the stars aligned for me. And I wanted to say before I leave the island, that I think that it's important to note that even if I hadn't received the job and I had done everything I could and spent the two years and I didn't get it because you know, some other Australian came in and got the job over me. I just, I still would have been happy knowing that I did everything that I could have. So I think that that's another thing to take is just knowing that even if it doesn't work out in the end, that just means it wasn't meant, meant to be. And there's a different way forward, but yes, I am one of the blessed ones where it did, but I just, I just hope that even if 
it doesn't happen for someone that that doesn't hinder their exploration and their and their drive to be able to go for what they want. That's great advice, Jenna. Thanks again for being on the island. We really like <laughs> having you in Australia with us and Thank you. being part of our little part of the world. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> thanks for being on the island and good luck in the future. Thank you. Spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost in the details of life. Each day was a blur. Oh, work and no play. And how, how had it turned out this way? He told me his plan a short term escape, five weeks on the Bibbulmun track. Yeah.